in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. But then again, you start to look deeper into those reports of those, you know, fitness enthusiasts, those CrossFit dudes, and you start to question, what does healthy actually even mean? It's never really defined. It's more like this person has muscles, therefore they're healthy, right? So is our definition of health actually distorted? Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My goal with this project is pretty simple. In a world which has become increasingly divisive and polarized, I want to bring you a balanced perspective of health. To deliver on that promise, I'll seek out experts with conflicting opinions to tackle the topic of health from as many angles as possible in order to make this podcast into an amazing resource for anyone looking to improve their health. Thanks for joining me. All right, so basically in this episode, what we're gonna try to answer is the question of what does healthy actually mean? So right now we're living in this uh, era of a sub-microscopic agent. And so with that brings along massive amounts of misinformation and a gigantic amount of fear. So at first we're told Okay, only elderly and immunocompromised people are affected by the coronavirus. Or like, okay, that makes sense. As age increases, immune health tends to decrease, right? But then we start getting reportings of these jacked buff dudes who were hospitalized. And then we start thinking, okay, uh, this virus can knock out healthy people. I guess science is always changing. So it's plausible. So maybe we should be more careful, right? But should you really be worried and be even more fearful. Like if Adonis over here is knocked on his butt, I'll be totally trampled by the virus, you might think, right? And it's perfectly logical to conclude that aesthetics equals health, but the truth is it's a lot more nuanced than that. So in this episode, we're gonna attempt to answer, are these Greek God fitness buffs actually the perfect specimens of health they're made out to be? Or are there other objective biomarkers of health, which are actually much more accurate and relevant than a 13-inch bicep? According to a lot of news sources, uh, people who test positive for COVID seem to be dying left and right. That's pretty much the main message that we've been getting for a while. So at the beginning, it was just old people, like I said, but then healthy people seem to be uh, also affected, right? So seems like the virus is really indiscriminate in that way. But then again, you start to look deeper into those reports of those, you know, fitness enthusiasts, those CrossFit dudes, and you start to question, what does healthy actually even mean? It's never really defined. It's more like this person has muscles, therefore they're healthy, right? So is our definition of health actually distorted? What does that even mean? The first thing I want to cover is the landscape of the United States. So we have 60% of American adults who have at least one chronic disease. And it's even worse because children have uh, around 50, 54% uh, living with one or more chronic diseases, which means type 2 diabetes, autoimmunity, uh, Alzheimer's, obesity. Um, And this is relevant because the truth is the norm is now disease. 
So it's even more difficult to try to find someone with zero health conditions. And if you don't believe that, then try it, go through your head and think like, okay, my parents, do they have any health conditions? No, then go from there. And it, trust me, sadly, it won't take you very long to find someone who does. It makes it that much more difficult to define what healthy actually means, you know? Like, I don't know, in your guys' life, do you guys have someone close to you guys who has at least like one chronic illness? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have quite a few, like from alcoholism to asthma to Alzheimer's to just just a lot in general. Diabetes is a big one. So, yeah. Right. So it's not really too hard to find sadly and we're kind of going to go into why i think that is from all the research i've done and uh you know where we can actually go from there because it's like it's one thing to blame something but it's also like all right what do we have to do after that right at least a few simple things that we can we can check for so let's look at this from an evolutionary biology perspective uh so a lot of research actually shows you know humans haven't actually gotten that much more healthy from humans like thousands of years ago, right? Um, and one way that we can measure that is through something called maximal lifespan, uh, health span and average lifespan. So maximal lifespan is the greatest amount of time that is recorded for a species. And so that actually has not changed dramatically for a few hundred years at least, despite the crazy amount of uh, advancements we've had in medicine. But average lifespan obviously has increased tremendously, at least 30 years. So the problem with that is, because it sounds good right off the bat, right? Like, oh, on average, you're living longer, right? But also there's a problem of, wait, you had people who lived up to 90 years old, there are records of that, you know, in like old texts. So how is that even possible? How are they surviving, right? Well, you know, there's a lot of factors, but mainly it was like deaths at childbirth were one of the biggest things that killed people early on. Uh, and now we've reduced that a lot because of, uh, you know, we're able to go to hospitals and like have a, if anything goes wrong, we have like medical care right there. Right. Um, yeah, oh, sorry, not to cut the train of thought, but to, um, like, that's one of the one benefits of having excellent medical facilities right there is like, if you need something, you can just get it pumped right into your arm. You know, that's those, um, those short term early deaths have significantly decreased, right? Yes, yes. And what those did is uh, they tanked the average lifespan of early humans, right? So that's where we see like that huge, like that's why the average lifespan was so much lower and now it's so much higher, but the maximal lifespan hasn't really budged. Yeah, not to mention like back a couple of centuries ago, just living in general was much more dangerous. So younger people would have died a lot earlier. For example, a lot more people were in coal mines. A lot more people were farming, hunting. 
Yes. So yeah, the point is, it's not really the fact that medicine, modern medicine has advanced so much. It's a change in like societal structures. It's a change in a lot of different things, right? Like predators. Lifestyle. Um, lifestyle. It's just a different right. lifestyle. Right. Exactly. And like, so with, with this increase in average lifespan, though, I think it's important to mention the definition of health span. Ben, you want to elaborate on health span? It's something we've talked about a lot. Right. So because, um, so you'll see that the average lifespan is increasing. Like, oh, that's great. Like people are living longer. But what's important to note is, you know, obviously life is good. Life is precious. We don't want to undermine or, 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 or undervalue it, but the, the quality of that life, how, how much suffering you have, you know, are you in constant pain? Do you have to take constant medications? That is what we can refer to as health span. Are you living optimally? Do you need, are you dependent on modern medicine for prescriptions? And so it's like the number of your good years, basically. Yes. Yeah. So quote unquote, good years, you can extend your health or you could extend your lifespan using a lot of the advice that's given. Well, some of it, some of it, some, some of the, some of the modern medical practices will extend your lifespan, but in turn, decrease your health span. Yep. That was perfect. So, so basically the reason why I went into this evolutionary bio biology perspective is because, uh, you know, looking towards the past and comparing that to where we are right now helps us to kind of define what health even means, right? Because we had a lot more evolutionary pressures like back then, right? Like we faced droughts, we faced predation, we faced like warring tribes, right? So if you were not a peak physical specimen when you were alive like hundreds or even thousands or millions of years ago for early human ancestors you were not going to survive meaning if you had a bad ankle if you had you know if you were somehow obese, was a big one. yeah if you had any sort of problem that um limited your ability to find food to mate to uh go long periods of time without food you were not going to pass on your genes. So now many scientists and researchers are arguing many of those evolutionary pressures are gone. And what does that mean? That means that we're in a, in a way sort of devolving because now people who have chronic diseases and you know get to 13 or 14 and they can have kids, then they're still passing on their genes, no matter if they're chronically diseased uh, or not, right? So our, our definition of health now is just completely different than what it used to be. Studying modern day hunter-gatherers, which I've been doing a little bit, um, gives us this glimpse into the past, right? And Specifically, there's two main tribes that I've been looking into, one called the Hadza, Hadza tribe and the other one called the Maasai. So, yeah, 
Uh, before we go a little bit too far, I want to make sure that uh, that what we're we're laying out here isn't getting uh, get misconstrued as uh, thinking about this in terms of eugenics, because what you're saying is true, yes, but that's what when I when I said earlier that all life is precious, like we can't uh, devalue life just because um, because someone has a comment. Yeah, yeah, because they have may have made really poor life choices that put them in this disease state, and then or just their genetics. Get the well, to a degree, not 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 a lot of it is genetics, Louis. A lot of it is epigenetic signatures that get passed down from, oftentimes, mother to offspring, and unfortunately, that was that was the mother that was the parent's choice to live that lifestyle and leave that mark upon their body, that epigenetic signature on their body. But uh, it, it's still a life and, um, you know, that was their choice, but it's, it's, let's not uh, get it misconstrued with eugenics, you know? Yeah, I think maybe devolving might be the wrong word. I mean, it's, it's kind of correct because as a species, we're really like, like as humans, we are all kind of, as we've taken on the industrial revolution and as we've uh, evolved these conventional agricultural practices, we've all of our health has kind of gone down the tank because environmental health has gone down and it is inextricably tied to our health. So what I meant by that is human health is, human health is decreasing like overall from how it used to be, right? And what I was getting at with the Hadza people is research has been done on their cardiovascular health, immune health, gut health, and metabolic health. And even though they are hunter-gatherers, they do not have antibiotics. They do not have all of these modern medicines that characterize first world nations like the United States. They still have all of those traits that I just mentioned all rival or even surpass industrialized nations, especially if we're talking about like gut microbiome. They have this, this diverse microbiome because they're literally in constant contact with their environment. They, when they kill an animal and zebra is usually what they eat for meat. So let's say they kill a zebra, right? They kill it with their bow. They go and get it. They chop it up right there and then, and they will carry it on their back sometimes for even days back to camp. So they have this once living animal covered with a bunch of different bacteria, covered with uh, like fungi, you know, microbes, and they're breathing that in, it's on their skin. So they're really in this synergistic sort of balance with their environment. And so we as modern humans have really strayed from that in recent years. and. That's part of the reason why we're seeing our health decrease exponentially. A quick word from our sponsors. Just kidding, we don't have sponsors yet. But anyway, if you're into health, which I'm assuming you are if you're listening to this podcast or watching this video, then listen up. Thrive Market is on a mission to make organic food, high quality food, accessible to as many people as possible. 
Now, since you're into health and nutrition, you're probably looking for organic foods at the best prices because they can be really crazy expensive. So Thrive Market is the solution. Thrive Market delivers groceries right to your door at a fraction of the price that you find in store. They have stuff like grain-free, paleo, pancake mixes, but everything is organic, high quality, non-GMO. Best part is, because you're listening to this show, I have an exclusive link that you can check out at the show notes on my website at livedamwell.com slash podcast. Find the episode, click the link, you can get a $24 online store credit for anything of your choosing within the site. Or if you're watching on YouTube, then just click the link below in the description. Check it out and enjoy. Now back to the show. So in essence, these populations are very healthy for the most part, right? I mean, they still deal with those problems that we talked about, like, like childbirth, like they will have higher rates of death from that. Um, some infectious diseases also, but for the most part, they're very, very, very resilient and very healthy in terms of like cardiovascular health, immune health, gut health. Question is, how do we best replicate that, um, that system really within the confines of modern living, that, that ancestral system within the confines of this, of modern living? Because, you know, nobody's going to give up their house and, and their phone and their microwave and their refrigerator to go and be like, okay, I'm going to go live in the trees behind my house with my bow that I made and go shoot the, go try to shoot the deer now. Like your body's not really ready for that. And that's like, nobody's going to do that. So. Right. It's a, it's a delicate, delicate balance, right? Because it's not like we want to go relinquish all modern, modern life, like sell our house, sell our cars and go like get a little hut in the middle of the woods and go and live there. That's just, there's a lot of comfort. There's a lot of comfort to be had with the way that we live right now. And it's very unrealistic to think that we would just give that up for health sake. And or yeah. even be able to survive. If I could give a little anecdote here, um, at my mystery job that I work, I spoke with one of my friends and he's from, uh, from Nigeria. And he said that in Nigeria, he can literally drink dirty water. And he said he had a friend from, he had a, a visitor from Europe try to do the same thing. And he was throwing up like, a couple minutes later, he's like, yeah, I could go see that puddle over there. I could drink the water if I wanted to. It'd be okay. And I was like, that is insane. Like he is, he is adapted to that, to that sort of environment or to, to that his body knows what to do when it encounters a stimulus like that. Our body, that is completely foreign to us because we've been sheltered. So like we would, it would be a shock to us and therefore we would need antibiotics and, and those little. That is a you know, great anecdote. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. That's something I hadn't thought about like that. But yeah, we're, we're so like, we've created our own little safe, sterile bubble that is our, our modern homes. And uh, straying from that right now would, 
Straying from that right now would be really, really like difficult to do. What's up, Louis? I was saying that basically it's made us kind of soft in in essence, just put it simply. And I guess another similar another anecdote, but I guess slightly different, but it includes like bodily adaptations, is that like I'm from the Caribbean. I live in the Caribbean, right? So whenever one of my friends from the U.S. comes here, I have to keep on reminding them, put on sunscreen, put on a hat, like put on a shirt. Meanwhile, they see me like with my shirt off and we're at the beach for like 12 hours straight and they want to do what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, they end up looking like a lobster and they're very hurt and I'm fine. It's because it's I'm accustomed to that, I guess. Louise, can I ask you a question? Sure. How much sunscreen do you wear on the regular? Never. Never. Uh, Jorge, Ever. That, might be, that might confirm what we were thinking earlier about the, our solar callus. Yeah, 100% confirms that. Like, if uh, any of the listeners or viewers know about Dr. Jack Cruz, um, he talks about, and a lot of other researchers and scientists too, but that's the way that I uh, heard about, you know, sunlight, magnetism, you know, that's how I got into the whole world of the sun is actually a medicine. Like the sun is powerful in creating health. So I've tested it out myself. Like when I used to, let's see, like three or four years ago, I used to go out in the sun for 20 minutes and I used to be completely red and sunburned and it would last for a few days really. And this is in, in the Northern hemisphere, right? In the summer where it, sure, it gets hot, but it doesn't get that hot. And it only gets hot for a few months out of the year. So it was kind of pathetic. Like I'd be going outside and I would just get red and I would just get sunburned. And now I can be outside for hours in the same location and get tan and not get sunburned. So it's definitely this adaptation. And it's this delicate balance between you know, trying to live the way that we used to live as hunter gatherers, that's not going to happen, right? That's just simply not going to happen. And that's the reason why as I'm taking this uh, certification training um, to become a health coach, I'm creating a program where it's a mix between all that we know from ancestral wisdom, all that we know from evolutionary biology. And it's really trying to find that balance between modern comfortable living and mixing that with all of the traditional wisdom that we have from from things like ayurveda to things like traditional chinese medicine and so because i really think that's the way forward it's it's embracing both cultures really both lifestyles new synthesis if you may yes <laughs> yes yeah. So next up, I want to talk about aesthetics and health. And this is something that Ben and I have talked about for on and off for like the past year or two. The ultimate dichotomy. <laughs> the ultimate dichotomy of aesthetics versus health. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but oftentimes it can be. Usually it is because, right, and this is a question I want to pose, like, does looking like a chiseled beast about to pop out of your wife beater actually mean that you're healthy? <laughs> right? Does it actually mean you're healthy? And like, you could, you could argue like, 
Sure. Yeah. Like obviously exercise is good for you, right? Like it's good for brain health. It's good for cardiovascular, everything. Um, kind of right. Like smart exercise regimens, like without a doubt improves all of that brain health, cardiovascular, metabolic health. But there's a few nuances to consider, right? Because in, in the search of this like perfect physique or perfect performance that often goes against, especially when it's at an extreme that goes against health. So I know that we can speak to that because as swimmers, we do ridiculous <clears throat> amounts of training and that's uh, like six days a week, two to four hours or some days more of training, whether that be weightlifting, um, you know, like high intensity interval training, being in the pool and endurance swimming, endurance yeah. swimming. Yeah. So that as much as many people can handle it because many people, yeah, many people can handle that amount of stress, but the question is not, can you handle it? It's, it's, you know, can you actually be like healthy as well as very, very high level performer? And that is difficult. It's doable, but it's difficult to do. And then again, what are we, how are we defining healthy, you know? Right. Yeah. And for me, it was really, it, it takes my health in a way that I would not have expected because it wasn't sure. I had a few shoulder problems here and there, but virtually every swimmer I know has had some sort of shoulder problem. Right. So it like, it was workable. I, I worked through the pain for like five plus years. It wasn't like a new thing to me, but the thing that I really uh, dismissed was how it affected my, like my mental health, how it affected my emotional state. Uh, how it affected digestion, um, you know, all of those things. And for me, it was like a lot of anxious like symptoms. You know, it was like irritability some days. It was, uh, you know, insomnia pretty much every night. Like I'd wake up five, six or seven times every night for as long as I could remember. There were very, very few nights I can remember. I actually slept through the night ever since I was like 13. So all of this that to me was like, oh, it's normal. You know, I can work through it. I just need to work harder, right? That mentality, though it was good and it served me, it, it just, I mean, I got burned out to be quite honest. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where my, my health tanked a little. I mean, if I could just step in here, there's actually been cases in which swimmers in particular have pushed themselves so hard that they've actually ended up dying. Like there's this one guy, I don't know if I could mention his name because of legal issues and whatnot, but he, I would, he died. Like he was a world champion. He died and he either died because of drugs or he just pushed himself so hard that he just had a heart attack in the showers in the, in the, um, in the locker room so i guess my point is that like just because we swimmers look so healthy and so fit it doesn't necessarily mean so because we push our heart so hard for so long sometimes that it could actually create damage yeah agreed and this is especially prominent the point that luis just brought up in 
uh, in endurance and people who do endurance event like marathon runners, cyclists, cyclists. Uh, there is there there have been a few cases of cyclists who've actually gotten so fit that they can't go to sleep at night without a heart monitor because they're so fit that their heart rate goes so low that they have these special like heart rate monitors that tell them that if their heart rate goes below a certain point that they have to get up and get on the bike to get their heart up. If not, they'll have a heart attack while they sleep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So just because we're so fit, we humans are so fit, it doesn't mean fitness doesn't necessarily mean health. Yeah. And, you know, having said that, the type of exercise, the, the not just the what, right? Not just lifting weights, but it's when do you do it? How often do you do it? And what is all, what are all of the surrounding pieces to that nutrition, meditation, gratitude, social life, right? So I would say that a really smart exercise regimen would be, and something that I've started to follow is some sort of movement every single day, absolutely critical. But for the average person, one, two or three sessions per week of high intensity interval training for 20 to 30 minutes is perfect. And it's just enough to, you know, create like a body that you want, like a physique that you want, while also giving your body the proper amount of rest. When you, if you look at a bodybuilder type, you know, some dude that looks super jacked and you think like, damn, he looks so fit. I wonder how he got like that. You know, oftentimes to put on that kind of size and that kind of mass, not only are you training, like doing two a days, training really hard, but you're also consuming a lot of food consistently and this this was something i was doing in high school like unwittingly i was just you know i was like oh i'm hungry like i have a little craving so i stuff some food in my mouth and eat it and like i got pretty big doing that but like unknowingly um but like as i in college once i learned about um the different pathways of muscle protein synthesis and the the different anabolic pathways like mTOR and IGF-1, I realized, oh, damn, like, that's why in high school, like, I, well, one of the reasons, you know, I, I was, I was pretty dedicated in high school, but like, that was one of the reasons why I got so big. But I learned that those pathways, you know, with everything in life, for there's, there's a cost to gaining something like no, nothing is ever free. Like you say, you, you buy something for free, like, you paid for that somewhere, somehow. What I'm getting towards is those pathways when constantly, uh, when they're constantly engaged, uh, IGF-1, I'll use that one for example. IGF-1 is insulin-like growth factor. Okay. And so what the first word in that, insulin, okay? What, what happens when you have chronically high levels of insulin? like with anything when you have it on too much in your body you'll oftentimes build a resistance to it you know with with any neurotrans with with most neurotransmitter systems that's how they function 
although insulin isn't a neurotransmitter, it's a hormone, but it still has that same effect. So if you have IGF-1 pathway constantly active, your body will eventually become resistant to insulin and start, um, it won't metabolize energy as well. And that insulin resistance is a marked pathology throughout every chronic disease that you'll find you know most yeah pretty much every chronic like metabolic disease you'll find even like alzheimer's right That's, oh especially yeah. alzheimer's so what about diabetes that sounds exactly like diabetes you know yes uh, oh that's it's the cause it's the cause type 2 okay. diabetes type 2 yeah, diabetes type, yeah i'm i'm basically the test bunny for the people who don't know all the bio terms <laughs> yeah it's good Sorry. to get a mix of uh, of people here. Yeah. But, uh, so if you guys have anything else to add. To I this? do. I, I do have some other things to add. So like I'm a huge fan of MMA and strongman. And when we we're coming up with the topic about like appearance versus true health, I went back and I looked over my favorite people, such as Eddie Hall, like he's, he won the world's strongest man, still has a world record for the deadlift, 500 kilograms, but he suffers from sleep apnea. He has to eat literally constantly every day to maintain his 400 pound plus figure, right? So there's no way that can be healthy. And I did some other research on my own, like excessive eating like that could actually lead to kidney damage because you have to be constantly breaking down food all the time. But and then you have some joint issues, whatever impact sport. But what I wanted to get towards was MMA. So in MMA, all the guys, all the girls look jacked. They have amazing bodies, right? But what the dangerous part about MMA that people don't really talk about enough is the weight cutting. Almost every single person in MMA weight cuts. And weight cutting leads to ridiculously bad kidney issues like there have been, even been some deaths like in 2013 this brazilian guy who was supposed to be a superstar in the future he just he went for his weigh-in he cut maybe like 20 pounds in four days and then right after his weigh-in he dropped dead another example is this there's this lady i guess I, I guess i can say her name because this is widely documented her name is chris cyborg and she usually walks around at 170 plus like out of season but once she's getting ready for weighing at a fight she has to dip under 140 and usually how it works is that in mma you want to you want to cut your weight like a couple days before so that you, you're not at that weight so you still have some strength and then you try to bump back up right before the fight so like you're cutting all this water and then you're putting it back on in it, that shock to your body there's no way that's healthy but from the outside everyone looks jacked everyone's so strong anyone can knock you out so there's a little bit of a mismatch between like the the um aesthetics of being amazing and the fact that these people probably aren't that healthy i think that's a good place to end for that topic Thank you for listening to episode one, part one of a two-part series on what it means to be healthy. Now, in this episode, 
we just barely scraped the surface. And in fact, that's why we made two parts because we knew we were not gonna be able to fit everything in in this one part. So next session, next part, in my opinion, is way more interesting. We actually delve into a bunch of research on glutathione, vitamin D status, magnesium deficiencies, and much, much more. Now, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify. I would really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about the chronic disease epidemic and you want to learn how the modern lifestyle is actually crippling our health, then I recommend you check out my ebook on Amazon called Return to Human. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you in the next episode.